What is up, and happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I am your host, I am your pal, and I'm the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can follow me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And we have a whole bunch to get to, but first, got to do a little bit of housekeeping. First things first, there's a survey that you can take. Tell me what you think of the show at LockedOnPodcasts.com slash survey. That's LockedOnPodcasts.com slash survey. There's a link in the show notes. We are very interested in your feedback, and if you fill it out, you get entered in a chance, uh, in a drawing, to win a $250 Vivid Seats gift card. That'll pay for basically one pretty good ticket to a game. And you can tell me what you think of the show. It takes about five minutes. It's worth your time. Please go check that out. Also, you can find the show by telling your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. You can do this in the car, you can do it hands-free, all very safe and nice, and you can listen to me on your morning commute or your evening commute, I don't know your life. And also, the pain bracket round two is wrapping up today on this show. You can go to the link in the show notes, or you can just go to my Twitter and you can find the poll uh, today we are pitting the 2009 NFC Championship, the Bounty Gate game, Brett Favre thrown across his body, to Teddy Bridgewater's injury. And Teddy's injury is actually the last non-game thing remaining on the bracket since the Herschel Walker trade and the Metrodome collapse and, like, Adrian Peterson. All of those have all been eliminated. So Teddy's injury is the last remaining thing that wasn't an actual game. And on the other hand, you have the 2009 NFC Championship, which hurts more to think about. Go vote in the pain bracket. So moving on, we have some pretty big news to cover NFL-wise. It doesn't affect the Vikings very much, but I think it's still worth talking about because we have a pretty strong connection uh, to those affected, and that is this big Joe Flacco trade. Joe Flacco was traded from the Ravens to the Broncos for a mid-round pick. I'm not sure what the compensation was as of this recording, but somewhere in the mid-round and the... Broncos take on a whole bunch of that Joe Flacco contract. So when you take the contract into account and Joe Flacco's play lately, it makes a lot more sense than I think you would if you initially just looked at like, okay, team trades away, it's 10-year franchise quarterback for a mid-round pick. There's a a few extenuating circumstances, but this is not to talk about Joe Flacco because this is a Vikings podcast. This puts our old friend Case Keenum in a bit of a sticky situation. He's the quarterback in Denver. He's not going to be the starter, according to reports. And that puts the Broncos and Case Keenum into a weird spot where it really behooves them to try to trade him, get that money off the books, uh, which is something they can't do by cutting him. They would still have to eat 10 million dead money. But perhaps if they traded him, they could get a team to kind of foot that bill and have Case Keenum at what is still a pretty reasonable price for a quarterback nowadays. And so there was a Mike Florio article about, like, should the Vikings trade for Case Keenum? And that doesn't make a lot of sense, because in that article he talked a whole bunch about that necessitating a Kirk Cousins trade, which there is a clause in his contract that prohibits a trade, so obviously that won't happen. But that nonetheless spurred some interesting discussion about it as a hypothetical. And and I think, like, where I stand on this is really more of an emotional take than, like, a rational one. I loved watching Case Keenum play. I loved that he constantly seemed like he had no idea how he was playing that well. And and I think, the fa- like, he was with the fans, like, I don't know, I didn't think I was this good either. And I was always really endeared by that. And he just seemed like a really down-to-earth, like, easy-to-root-for guy. So I would love to see him back in Minnesota, like, come on home, Case, we'll shovel your driveways for you. Come be our backup. But, like, he would obviously be the backup and would have to be, like, willing to have that contract. We wouldn't be able to trade for Denver's contract and, like, pay $17 million or whatever it is for him. And there's, like, a whole giant list of reasons why this, like, obviously wouldn't happen. 
but it got me thinking about the kind of differences between the 2017 and 2018 offenses. And uh, Kevin Ringrose, who runs the PFF Vikings account, uh, a PFF account dedicated to just the Vikings, was answering questions about some like in-depth data about like Keenum versus Cousins. So I asked him a couple questions about first reads and second reads because the whole thing with Cousins and Keenum is that Cousins is a much more accurate quarterback. He's just better at placing the ball. And like we talked about in yesterday's show, that's really important. But Case Keenum can improvise and he much he like way more frequently went to the second read and scrambled around and like made things happen. And I think we saw in 2017, like a quarterback that was willing to identify, oh, hey, this play is not working. And it's a situation where, where it like needs to be better than this, right? Like, oh, this, this yards after the catch oriented play is going to get tackled. I can complete the ball, but he's not going to get the first down that I need. I'm going to, you know, break the pocket, scramble outside, try to find something else. And he wasn't always as accurate on that. And he wasn't always able to place the ball where he needed to, but he could at least kind of identify and, and, you know, give the guy a chance, I guess, in, in Minnesota miracle terms and if I had to like point to one reason why the 2017 offense was so much better than the 2018 offense I think that would be what I would point to I also just think that like you know you you can kind of say all right Shermer was a better coordinator than John Filippo, but ultimately I think the 2017 offense existed in a world that was off book I think the best moments that we saw in that season came off book they came when the plan was not executed properly, when there was pressure, when Case Keenum had to roll out of the pocket and then find Adam Thielen across his body on the goal line. That was a, a play in Washington. And like not to discredit Pat Shermer too much, he called a very excellent season. And I remember being on the Purple Journal podcast at Purple PTSD after every week saying, wow, Shermer called another good game. But I think a lot of credit has to be given for to Keenum, not for his actual quarterbacking like physical ability, which I mean, there's a reason he went undrafted, right? He like couldn't place the ball right. He doesn't really have the arm strength to be an elite quarterback in the NFL or anything like that. But he was willing to go off script and he was willing to make it schoolyard football. And, and this was an offense that was pretty well suited to play schoolyard football. I think Diggs and Thielen were good at it. I think Kyle Rudolph could find ways to get open. Even like David Morgan could get in on that. And Case Keenum is kind of a schoolyard quarterback. Now, I don't have a lot of information about Denver, uh, his, his season in Denver, or if he was really still able to do that. But if I were to go look into it and I had to guess... I would say that a lack of improvisation or something with the offensive staff there kind of stymieing his ability to go off script where I think Pat Shermer fostered it and encouraged it. I would point to that as a big difference between, you know, his 2018 and his 2017 seasons. So I, I don't know, musings on Case Keenum just because he's kind of in the headlines right now. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up. I think he could improve a lot of teams if they did want to trade for him. But for now, he's the backup to Joe Flacco in orange. So before we get into the meat of the episode, which is going to be something that I teased in yesterday's show, uh, but it's going to be an all-offensive line offseason. Basically, I I cut every O-line, with the exception of Brian O'Neill, and geared the entire, like, mock offseason toward fixing the offensive line at any cost, like Jurassic Park style, spare no expense. So I am going to go over that in very, very high detail with you for the rest of the show, but first, I do have to step away for an ad break, so I will see you all in a minute. All right, so let's talk 
about this mock offseason. So there's a few parameters here. For one, I'm cutting every offensive line. I don't care about evaluation. I don't care about how good they are. I'm cutting everybody that saves me money to cut. And the only person that actually costs the Vikings money to cut is Brian O'Neill. And that's just because of the way rookie contracts are are structured. If you cut any second round pick after his first season, it would cost you money. It would like accelerate a bunch of guarantees that are baked into rookie contracts later in the in their careers uh, and it would accelerate all those into one season and that would actually lead to cost more than you'd be paying him this year just to sit on the bench if you really thought he was that bad not to mention I mean he just looks like a promising piece and he played pretty well at right tackle so we're going to keep him on the roster and we're going to axe everybody else Elfline, Reef, Remmers, Rashad Hill we're not going to re-sign everybody Tom Compton they're all gone so by doing that between the rookie contracts that we'd be cutting and the Remmers deal and the Reef deal cutting all of that saves a total of about 12 and a half million and it leaves us with about 9 million in dead money like just under nine like eight point nine seven or something like that so add that to the 6.9 that over the cap has us at right now for the 2019 season and i'm not going to worry about 2020 or 2021 i think the vikings should when they're doing their thing but just for the simplicity of this exercise we'll only worry about the 2019 cap for right now that puts us at a cool 19.4 million and spoiler alert that is not enough because we cut the entire position group that means we have to replace the entire position groups you know we cut the depth we cut danny isadora we cut Nick Easton. So we have to bring in to camp like a solid 16 players. So spoiler alert, I'm doing a mock draft here and I'm not very familiar with the draft uh, lineman myself. So I'm just going to use Matt Miller's big board and just kind of go based on that. But I am planning on using every single draft pick on offensive line because we are going as all in as we possibly can here. So that'll give us a good start, but we still kind of need like a a reasonable starter at each position because I don't know which linemen are going to fall to me when I do this draft. And just for transparency, I have not done this draft yet. As I'm recording this, I'm going to do it once I go to the second ad break. So like for authenticity, I have to operate completely in the dark. I don't know who's going to fall to me and I don't want to end up in the situation that we were in in 2018 where we needed a guard, but we couldn't get one because runs kept happening uh, in front of us. So all that means that I need to pick up a bunch of free agent linemen and I'm probably going to need to pay out the nose for them. So I am cutting a whole bunch of players. I'm cutting Everson Griffin. I'm cutting Anderson Deho, which you'll notice is a theme. I think that's just the right move to make to save some money. And I'm cutting Kyle Rudolph. And we're also not going to worry about extensions because this is the all offensive line offseason. That is our one and only priority. So we are letting Anthony Barr and Sheldon Richardson walk. We're going to roll with like Eric Wilson and Jaleel Johnson and David Morgan, and they're all going to get new shiny starting roles while we solely focus on the offensive line here. So after making those cuts, we have $42.9 million in cap space. So that is a lot of money to work with, and we're going to spend a lot of money, and here's who we're going to spend it on. A lot of these guys we actually talked about in the offensive line uh, free agency episode. I think that came out on Tuesday, so go check that out if you want a primer. So I'm not going to go into too much detail about these guys right now. But we're going to start with a guy who actually wasn't mentioned in that episode in Kendall Lamb. He's coming from Houston. He's an unrestricted free agent, and he is uh, just coming off of his rookie deal. So he's really entering the prime of his career, and he's played like reasonable football. He had kind of a down year in 2017, but he's been a reasonable pass blocker and a suspect run blocker. And if you remember from the offensive line free agency episode and all the Rick Dennison talk, Rick Dennison really projects to help out linemen a lot in run blocking but not so much in pass blocking so we do kind of want to focus on guys who can pass block and however good they are at run blocking Rick Dennison will be able to kind of figure out how to make a scheme with them 
or at least that's what we're assuming based on like what he was able to accomplish uh, elsewhere in his career. So Kendall Lamb, I mean, he's not Trent Brown. He's not one of the really premier guys, but the Vikings do kind of tend to go for that second wave of people. You know, they're not going to take like the big time, you know, really hyped up free agent. Like I guess that's Trent Brown this year. And the advantage is contract wise, you can kind of get some deals. So right now, Jason Peters in Philadelphia is making 9 million a year uh, for the 2018 season. And I think that's actually a fair rate for Kendall Lamb because that was a contract that was signed a couple years ago. So things have inflated since. I don't think Kendall Lamb is as good as Jason Peters, but I think he's as good as like Jason Peters, like minus a couple years of salary cap deflation, inflation, if that makes sense. So nine a year for your your left tackle is a pretty good deal. But I also think uh, Lamb is a little bit of a bargain bin guy. So I'm also bringing in some competition for him in Ty Naseki. We talked about him in uh, the free agent episode a couple episodes ago. He is currently making 2.9 million in Washington or he did for 2018. And I think we could probably give him a one year deal at about the same price. So we'll pencil that in. This is all going to be very back of the envelope. If you think that I'm wrong about contracts and stuff, you know, keep track on your own. Let me know what numbers you come up with and what else you would change to kind of like make the cap work. I'm really actually curious to hear all of your thoughts. And then we're keeping O'Neill on the book. So that's three tackles, which means we probably only need one more and maybe bring in a couple guys for camp, which we can do with like undrafted free agency or whatever. But we really, the Vikings typically roster four offensive tackles. So we only need one more to like intend to make the team. Moving into the interior, this is an idea I'm a huge fan of, which is Matt Paradis. He has a lot of experience with Denison and with like zone schemes. And I think he's like a solid veteran presence, but I think he's going to be a huge center on the market. I think he's actually going to be the top center on the market. And I know that there's a lot of data out there that says that like center blocking is not particularly important because they're part of double teams all the time. So they can kind of screw up and there's always somebody on the other side of them to like make up for it. But I think cerebrally, you know, like the cost of a bad protection call can be the like worse than the cost of any bad single player. And centers are typically responsible for that. So I do want a top shelf center for sure. And I'm willing to pay 9.4 million, which is what Travis Frederick is making right now. I'm willing to pay for that for Matt Paradis. And then at guard, a couple people we talked about yesterday, Ramon Foster, he's coming from Pittsburgh. He's a veteran. He's a little older, but he's playing amazing football. And I think, and I don't think he's ready to start declining yet, but because of that age, I do think that lowers his price a little bit. And I think we can pay him like what Josh Sitton is making right now, which is 7.7 million. And then on the right guard side, we're going to take John Miller, somebody who worked with Rick Dennison. Uh, he's going to play a right guard there. He's going to make TJ Lang money at 9.5. So all of that adds up to 38.5 million, leaves us a shade under the 5 million you usually want to keep around for rookies and draft picks and stuff, but I'll take it. We'll be able to make that work and enter the draft. So essentially entering this draft, if all of these picks bust, we still have a player at each position that has played that position before, right? We're not going in with any complete unknowns or any like completely unfilled holes. All of these draft picks will be able to pick to push the veterans we've already signed. So best case scenario, we draft a bunch of great players and they're, you know, better than Matt Paradis and John Miller and Ramon Foster and all that. And that's awesome. Worst case scenario, they all bust and we have guys that we can at least feel reasonable about. But going into the draft, our line looks like this. We have probably Kendall Lamb starting at left tackle. We have Ramon Foster at left guard. We have John Miller at right guard. Matt Paradis in the center and O'Neal still playing right tackle, pushed by Ty Nisecki. And Ty Nisecki kind of playing that swing tackle role. So we need a bunch of backups, but we also want them to push. So I'm going to fire up Matt Miller's big board in Fanspeak right now. I'm going to do a mock draft. We're going to head to an ad break. And on the end of it, I'll, I'll run over the mock draft that I did. And I am going with the rule, only offensive line. So I don't care 
who falls to me, I don't care if Ed Oliver falls to me or Nick Bosa or whatever, I'm only drafting offensive line no matter what. So I'll see you all in a minute with a mock draft. All right, we are back. So I have the mock draft fired up right now. I have Matt Miller's draft board. I've got the user-voted team needs. I've got classic difficulty. I'm working with the stock version, not the premium version, so we don't have any trades or any of that to worry about. We're just selecting offensive linemen here. So Jonah Williams and Andre Dillard are the only two linemen off the board so far. So we kind of have our pick of the litter. Right now, the highest available lineman on Miller's big board is Cody Ford. Uh, However, I feel a lot more nervous about my tackles right now the way I have it because I have Kendall Lamb, Ty Nisecki, and Brian O'Neill. I feel like I want to push one of those guys with a high draft pick. So I'm looking a little bit at Jawan Taylor, who would also be kind of reasonable to pick here, but I also am I'm kind of aware of the hype surrounding Cody Ford, and I think I'm just going to take him right now. And we'll worry about tackle later. There's a lot of tackles in the second and third round that are names that people are really excited about that I'm going to go for right now. Uh, Dalton Risner is one of them, and I'm hoping to target him in the second or third round, even though I think in real life he's probably going to go before that because there's a lot of hype coming up about him. But we're going to stick to Miller's big board and trust that he has a better feel for the draft than I do and uh, hope that guy comes around. So round two, I was very wrong. There was a huge run on tackles uh, in the end of the first round. Risner's gone. Uh, everybody's gone. Kajust is gone. Everybody that has been getting like any sort of hype. So I am just going to take the best lineman available, which according to Miller's big board is Elgton Jenkins from Mississippi State. He's the 41st overall ranked player. I'm picking 50th overall, so this should be pretty good uh pretty good value and I'm going to take him and now we've got two interior linemen pushing guys like Paradis and Foster and Miller and all that so we should be really sound on the interior now I'm really happy with the interior line at this point so in the third round I've taken two interior I'm still worried about the tackle situation I'm just priced into taking the best tackle available on uh, Miller's big board that's Bobby Evans we're doing it and we're not looking back I think if I had played that a little bit better and maybe taken the tackle in the first round and gone for guards later, I probably would have taken Chris Chris Lindstrom here, who is uh, ranked at 95th overall on Miller's board, so it would make sense that he's available in the third. But alas, I have to take a tackle, and we'll head into day three with a relatively balanced line and just be able to start building depth. So round four, there's a guy from Oklahoma named Ben Powers. He's gotten a little bit of hype, so I'm pretty excited to take him at pick 120 and uh, hope that he can come in and like push some of those guys. This interior is feeling really, really strong to me. And, you know, not at, at light cost at all. We actually did this at great cost to like, and to the detriment of the team. But we definitely fixed the crap out of the interior offensive line. So unfortunately for the Vikings, you want to take in like six or seven tackles into camp. And right now we're stuck at four. So I'm basically taking the best tackles available right now at the 194th position on Miller's board is Ole Udo from Elon College. Uh, We're picking him at pick 192. So I'm okay with that value. And we're really just going to start taking tackle after tackle after tackle here to just try to fill out the room. So that was our natural sixth rounder. Now we're actually onto the compensatory sixth rounders that we got for like Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater and stuff. And uh, I'm going to stick with the tackles thing. I'm going to take Donnell Green. I'm going to take a hometown Minnesota kid. Uh, He's at 310 on Matt Miller's board, but I feel like the Minnesota connection makes this a reasonable enough pick. And and right now we're just trying to build depth and, and, you know, kind of look for any guys. So we might as well take a local kid. Into round seven now. So we're definitely getting down to the, uh, the bottom of the barrel here. Uh, I am going to take Jackson Barton. He's just the highest rated tackle left. He's from Utah. 
and uh, go with that. And that should round out the tackle group. We now have three veterans, three rookies, and uh, I believe there's still one seventh-round pick left. Yes, there is. I am going to take the highest available lineman, no matter what position, and call that good one. That That is Javon Patterson from Mississippi. So we're going to take him. We're going to go in to camp with seven guys on the interior and six guys on the outside. That's a pretty good camp group. I think the Vikings like to bring like 16 or 17 guys into camp, so they'd probably go for some undrafted free agents. But for now, that will do it, and that will create a line that I think is pretty much fixed. I'm a little concerned about the tackles, but I'm okay with the veteran presence. I'm okay with Brian O'Neill. I'm okay with Kendall Lamb. I don't think he'd be the best, but we did kind of get him at a bargain so that we could really spend elsewhere. And the interior looks basically unstoppable and we might even get to a situation where we kick one of those guys out back out to offensive tackle and just try to create a little bit more competition there we have good depth and everything and we really if you if you dedicate a whole offseason to this you can really fix it but the problem is at what cost so just just laying out the costs here of what we ended up having to do we ended up having to create just under 9 million in dead money. And while that's, you know, there's kind of a sunk cost thing to that, right? Like that money is already spent and that shouldn't prevent you from making the right decisions. I also think that like, it's just kind of a bad look, right? You're, you're paying players to not play on your team. And and I think it does kind of go down as a cost because that's money that could have been spent on your tackle. And now you're instead spending other money on your tackle and you just found a way to get more expensive at the position and honestly probably downgrade from Riley Reef. I actually don't think any of these guys are better than Reef at left tackle. But another part of that is I did kind of botch the draft in terms of the tackle position. I went into it as having that as my biggest need and then kind of got infatuated with the best player available, which was Cody Ford in the first round. But you also have to look at the cap casualties we made. We didn't re-sign Sheldon Richardson. We didn't re-sign Anthony Barr. I love Eric Wilson and Jaleel Johnson as backups. I do think they make reasonable rotation players. I actually do think Eric Wilson is like a borderline starting quality guy, but they're both huge downgrades at the position, and we have to downgrade elsewhere. We have to go from Everson Griffin to Steven Weatherly. If you listen to the uh, the pass rushing and the run defense reviews from the 2018 season, you will know that like, Griffin is a better player than Weatherly, even this year, which was a down year because of, of his mental health issues, and we can still project Griffin to bounce back. Stephen Weatherly will be a pretty big downgrade. We're, we're switching from Sandejo to Anthony Harris. I actually think that was an upgrade in 2018, albeit a slight one, and I think we'll be fine there. But we are also getting rid of Kyle Rudolph and not really replacing him. So right now, David Morgan is our tight end one. So that's a lot of positions and a lot of holes that we created to fix this offensive line problem. Now we spread them out, right? We've got a, we're missing a skill player. We're missing a couple of spots on the defense, but the defense is still loaded with a whole bunch of superstars. We still have Diggs and Thielen and stuff. So like the team would probably be fine. And with a good offensive line, you know, that would probably help things sing a lot. But there is a really significant cost there. And and we took this to the extreme of extremes. We took this as far as we possibly could take this. Obviously, no team will approach the offseason this way. But I thought it'd be a fun exercise to see, okay, if we go into the offseason with the goal of fixing the offensive line and the authority to spend any possible cost, cut anyone we had to, do everything we had to, what could we do? And, and you know, kind of helps us get to know the, the offensive line class a little bit more. So that is going to do it for this whole week of Locked on Vikings. Make sure you ask your smart device in your car to play a podcast Locked on Vikings. Make sure you vote in the pain bracket and make sure you come in next Monday. We are going to keep everything rolling along with free agency rumors. We'll cover any news that happens over the weekend. But until then, say hi to your loved ones on this wonderful Valentine's Day. 
and skull.